I'm Charles. I'm David. And you are listening to Blight Makes Right, the original Legion of Everblight podcast. So you don't exactly look like a manual. I am not a manual. I'm a sorry uh, so, substitution, but I'll do what I can. Yeah. Well, you got a, you got like way more hair than a manual and I combined. So <laughs> it's good to have, um, you know, some some fluff on the podcast. But um, uh, Emmanuel's taking the week off. He's actually getting games in right now, as far as I know, doing some animag into Scary Gary is, I believe, what he's practicing right now. But uh, it's, a, it's a challenge for all of us. Sometimes we just have to make some sacrifices to like actually go out and get games in. And that's one of the most important things. But um, David's stepping up. He's, you know, already guest hosted with us once, but we're happy to have David on again. You know, fellow Legion bro. We're just happy you're not playing Signar, dude. I am not playing Signar. <laughs> nope. None of that nonsense. <laughs> um, but it was interesting because um, there was just a post in uh, the Lord of the Feast general chat. And someone was asking about like, um, they'd been listening to a podcast and they'd suggested like getting in like four or five games a week, like is good practice. And Mr. Michael Chili Winters commented and he was like, there was a point where they were sometimes getting in five games a day and it was not uncommon, like during like the per year prep year where it was easily 10 games a week, if not more. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, um, when Pagani was running the store here in Houston, for year and I would both show up on our lunch breaks, you know, bang out a game over lunch. And so Connie would set up the first game. I'd show up and play him. As soon as we were done, per year would show up and play him. And I would go back to work. I'd get out of work and Pagani would have played another game with someone who had been there. I mean, Pagani would get in 50 games in a month. And, and again, he owned a game store and yeah. had the access to it. But that was like the month that I'm talking about, particularly was when Morvana 2 came out. And he had like four days to practice her before going to Mayhem Cup and happened to end up taking the event down. Yeah. But he'd already had 20 or 30 games with it in four days. It was yeah, insane. It, it's it's kind of crazy what you can do with like, I mean, I feel great when I go out and I get a tournament in and I'm like, man, I knocked out like four or five games in this day. Like, and I feel good about it. But I was reading a chess article at one point. Um, actually, Emmanuel had posted, I think I've mentioned on the podcast, but it was talking about one of the the top female chess players of all time. And is there's a point where like her as a chess player, like literally all she did was sleep, get up chess for like eight hours, then go out drinking, talking about chess, go home, sleep, do it again. And like, that's the kind, that's the kind of thing that chess masters, like that is not an uncommon situation to be in. So when we talk about like some of the best players in war machine, like, and I would say, Pagani was probably the person more so than probably anyone else. Like you're talking about like the, his ability to get in a constant stream of games on a weekly basis, probably more so than anyone else in the U S at least. Like I can't imagine, I don't think any other, I mean, maybe Jay or Trevor from chain attack, like they may have had some points where they were getting in quite a few games on a weekly basis, but I don't think anyone touched Pagani's level. No, he was, um, a true, you know, fanatic of War Machine. Uh, whenever he would, like something new would come out, that was all we talked Like he said, you know, play War Machine all day, go out and drink, talk about War Machine. You know, wake up in the morning and you have 50 texts in your group chat about War Machine. Like when the books would release in Mark II and you just had a whole year's worth of data in a month. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a blast. Um, 
and nowadays I'm I'm also happy. I'm like, oh look, I got my four games in this week. That was excellent. <laughs> I know, I know, right? That's I mean, there was a point when I came back and I'm like, I'm gonna get in at least two games a week. Like that mm-hmm. was my starting point coming back in. I'm like, I just need to be getting in some games each week. And then when I hit a tournament and like it felt great, but trying to find ways of like getting that up a little bit is always a challenge. Like everybody's got lives and trying to find ways, but um one of the things we've been talking about a little bit in the Legion Discord has been, you know, you gotta you gotta pick like a couple of casters, maybe two to three, like give yourself a little bit of variety, and you can change up the list a little bit and tweak them and try slightly different battle groups or unit configurations, that sort of thing. But you need to get in multiple games per week, trying, you know, if you can't get in four to five, like that's okay. But if you want to speed up your progress, you want multiple games going as consistently as you can and then you have got to talk about the games like Jaden and i played a very short game at the end of um the pdx open but he and i have probably spent quadruple the amount of time we played that game talking about it and reviewing different things that either of us could have done to improve that matchup or like things like he forgot about a counter charge and we're like double checking all the GoLab interaction, you know, interactions and stuff. Like you have got to talk about the games. You've got to talk about how the terrain affected your decisions and your opponent's decisions and all that kind of stuff. Like talking about it and dissecting it afterwards is where a ton of that information comes from. Yeah, we would, particularly the games that Chili was talking about, The one of the things that he mentioned was six or five or six games in one night of Sev 1 versus Terminus. And they would play it, Terminus would run at Sev, Freer would try to kill him, Freer would die, re-rack. And they would just put all the models back. They wouldn't even roll to see who goes first again. They would just re-rack that same scenario over and over and over again. And then that doesn't take as long as hey, do you want a game? Sure. All right, let me unpack my models, move stuff, put up terrain. When, when you're sitting there trying to get in like tournament practice games, when you go, oh, I need it like today. I need to know how to beat Iona. Iona's a very good caster. I need to get reps into her. I'm not going to walk into the game store and be like, hey, does anybody want to play some Iona? I try to schedule it ahead of time and get in there and yep, say, okay, sure. I want to play two games if you've got time and I want to go first and I want you to go first. And we're going to see how this goes on spread the net. I, I absolutely love that strategy. That is something that I will often do as well. Like, dude, I want to get like this game in. Let's do, I need practice against Core Shade 4. Let's do this matchup. You go first, then I'll go first. And we'll just immediately play the same matchup, you know, and see how it is from both from both sides um, and figure that out. I mean, sometimes it's easier for me because when you hit a matchup and they're like, I want to go first. And I'm like, I want to go second because I play Primal Terrors. Then we're like, cool, let's just, if that's what it's going to be, let's just keep practicing that. Unless, you know, you hit a point you're like, hmm, maybe it's not right for me to, you know, you may talk about that sort of thing. And like, say, if you're playing against Callus, right, and it's Mirage, you may not want to let Callus go second. You know, that that is even if your normal plan is to go first. And I, I'm talking like this because I know we have a lot of non-Legion listeners as well. So you may, people may be coming here for the Legion advice. So, but anyway, um, so obviously competitive competitive is the drive. We're all trying to find games. Emmanuel's out getting in games right now. I'm going to try to still get in some games this weekend. Um, and I'm excited for Seattle Open in two weeks, which will most most likely be Callus and Vale. Callus won, Vale won, because I am loving playing my girl again. Um, but um, you have been testing out some stuff as well, David. So if I understand things, you, um, you've been playing a little Absalonia 2? 
Yeah, since the Archangel was changed fairly recently. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to find casters that really make it sing. Because, it's, I mean, a common Legion issue right now is we're bad into gun lines. Dedicated true. hardcore gun lines. So I want to find something other than my Fianna list, which I've been playing for two years now. And although I love playing it, I, mean, I want to play something else. Need some variety in there. So are you thinking Absalonia 2 kind of could sing with your Thagrosh list? Is that kind of your thought process? That's the plan. I think that an Archangel gives me a big piece, a big central piece that I can protect with a single upkeep spell, a unit of Valkyries, and use its gun to kind of skirmish a little bit before I actually need to go in with Abby, because normally her alpha tries to carry the game. This way I can kind of hold back and say, hey, you know, let's let's put a couple of shots in there, see if I can pick off your picket line and get some really juicy targets in there. Well, and sometimes, you know, you'll see people that want to avoid letting you trigger Alpha Hunter, and you may just like pop them a couple of times to the Archangel, then have Abby go in, finish off the light or whatever, then she repos back, and now you have Alpha Hunter, and then you might even still be a feat turn. Who knows? Yeah, certainly. Okay, so um, what's, what's the list that you have been uh, testing out? So it's Abby with an Archangel. And then trying to find the points around it, I've been wiggling a lot of different stuff. Currently, it is Proteus, because I think Proteus is almost an auto-include, despite how expensive he is with her. Okay. A uh, pair of Nerefs, a unit of Blight Wasps, one Seraph, a pair of Forsaken, one Shepherd, a Sorceress and a Hellion, and a unit of Bellows Crew, so I can hold some objectives. Okay, so you do not have room for the Ice Witches, but you said you do have Valkyries in there? So this is the list that I play Sans Valkyries. If I need Valkyries, I generally will cut the Nerif, one of the Nerifs for Valks, and slide in. Uh, then I pay for one of my Forsaken and get a second Sorceress and a Hellion. So that's my wiggle room. Okay. Um, this happened to be the list I played tonight, so. Um, so we are talking about Absalonia 2, correct? Yes. Okay. That's probably why I like, I built some Absalonia one list. I'm like, I feel like we're some points short, but okay. So Absalonia two, um, how have you felt about the Nerif so far? Cause I personally, like I've loved the Nerifs and like, we can go back, like this is going to become the Pagani podcast. Cause I feel like I'm going to mention him a lot in this, but I was talking with him at LVO and we were talking about how good the Nerif is for 12 points and that that beast has no justification for being Matt seven. Like the Matt seven is pure extra juicy stat that really probably shouldn't be there. Like it would still be an awesome beast with Matt six, but for some reason it's Matt seven. But in my experience, as much as I've loved double Nerf and I've been squeezing Nerfs in all over the place, they just do great work, but I've really liked them with a consistent turn to turn damage buff. And Abby does not have that in her epic form, um, but she obviously has the feet. How have they performed? Because obviously they sprint back. They're more likely to survive than some other beast like, say, Proteus that has to go forward and kind of stay forward. Um, what have your experiences been with that so far? So you mentioned sprinting back, and I'll do that when I'm skirmishing early game, uh, particularly if I can trigger an alpha hunter on non-feet turn, like turn two. Okay. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to feet yet. We'll have them go forward, kill a couple of things, um, you know, charge in a tractor, kill them and back up. But on my feet turns, they're going to go in, do whatever they need to do, and then sprint forward, jam my opponent, protect my archangel, protect Proteus, and give me that next turn where I've actually got a beater, which is the archangel. That thing beats every turn. 
for sure. And you know, when you when you have Alpha Hunter, but man, when you get to trigger Alpha Hunter for the sprint, since it's speed, the Nerefs get to back up nine or like fly forward nine. Mm-hmm. Like they go forever with Alpha Hunter. But that was actually I was wondering if that was going to be your your play with them because I feel like they're the wrong choice in that list for late game play. And so have you so one of the things I've loved with them is um using them as no knockdown shields in front of key things, like putting two narrows together to block line of sight to a caster. Have you found that there's been situations like Proteus goes forward, like kills like a juicy threat that's part of the way up, the narrows kill some other stuff and kind of sprint to like force people to come into the narrows before they can even get to Proteus? Certainly. And uh, if you get a chance to have a narrow go up, kill something juicy before the feet turn and then sprint into a position where Abby can then get to whatever kills it or tries to get on it. I mean, there's your alpha hunter target and you're only trading oh, a point heavy for it. That's, that's a great, that's a great consideration. Like use the Nerif as the bait, like or whatever you're going to send in, like, cause if they're sending in a heavy, that's fantastic. But if they send in troops, it's just really easy alpha hunter pickings. So Okay. I think that's that's one of those things that I think almost goes without saying, but as soon as you say it, you're like, yes, like that's one of those subtle play positioning things that can, you know, just set up the game for you. So I dig it. Um, have there been any thoughts of like changing out models in the list? Like one of the things that I struggle with with Absalonia's is that I really want access to spiny growth. So when I'm looking at Proteus, I often want to switch him for a Carnivian to like gain a shepherd or a spell martyr, gain access to spiny growth and have a gun. And, but I know like, but Proteus has grievous wounds with her. So it's, it's tough. Like, have you tried the, the swappers have been all Proteus all the time. I've always taken Proteus. I had a Carnivian in her list early Mark three before themes, because I thought the Carnivian coming down in points was great. And Carnivian is just amazing. Honestly, um, but for 18 points and needing to spend one of its fury to get the plus two armor, it's just too squishy. Totally, totally fair. So, okay. So, um, what sort of things have you tried this into? Well, I built it as a circle drop. I wanted to see how it did into Iona and Kruger. Um, because I don't think that Thagrosh does well into that for the most part, at least in my Primal Terrors build. I would agree. I, I like Thagrosh in Primal Terrors, but in the Iona matchup in particular, if you don't have um, an accuracy boost, then the Iona game can go real bad real fast. And so like, I'm comfortable playing Callus and Veil 2 or Veil 1 into it, but they both accuracy boost for days. Um, and that can be one, that's one of the things that's held me back from playing Thags is I just feel like I'm always, I'm all just always facing down a, um, some sort of defensive buff. And I've just, Thags can kind of struggle. Obviously you got Gorag, but that's not always enough. Okay. No, so I mean, the list gets to Matt 11, but with Abby, I'm able to use the Archangel to walk up boosting AOE shots into those blood trackers. And then that ends up thinning that unit out quite a bit. And the Hellions play an amazing job in that matchup, sitting kind of forward and either drawing out key pieces to kill my free models, like Lord of the Feast or uh, the two-character unit. I forget what they're called. Uh, <laughs> the big dude who kills Lightbringers. Yeah. 
So a call comes out and kills one of those things. Um, but they can, they'll shut down those blood trackers and the cavalry solos that try to jump in and jump behind your models. They can't function when you have a Hellion. So uh, I found that part to work really well. Uh, the Blight Wasps also are amazing into that matchup. They hit like trucks. They're just good enough to go in and with boosting the hits, they can go in and kill, you know, four or five of the blood trackers, clean them out, finish off of the Tharn. And then the Archangel is a big enough piece that as long as you don't let them get a heavy or something really big on it post feet turn, it's okay. Well, it's also nice that Abby can just do her, um, you know, cast her spell and like potentially heal aspects on a variety of beasts. So, you know, if Tharn got some attacks in in a few different places, it's not really that big of a deal. But Certainly. I like that you brought up the Sorceress on Hellion for the circle matchup, because it's very interesting that if you do the no shooting aura, you may not be able to stop Lord of the Feast from shooting at his full range, but at least he can't charge in and then rave into some bullshit position that you don't want him in. Certainly. Um, and that that is something I hadn't thought about until just now, right? At least having the Sorceress on Hellion there can at least make his, like, bullshit mode, like, a little calmer. And Flight Wasp's threat so far that a lot of the time you can either uh, Pac-Man to him and try to finish him off with the Blight Wasp before he gets to go, or you can kind of try to draw him out with moving your Archangel up and then having the Hellion kind of close to him. So that if he tries to get within seven to shoot the archangel, you've got your bubble to protect you. Makes sense. So one of the things that I've been seeing pop up more often is I've been seeing circle players shifting away from Kruger in favor of Wormwood. How do you feel about this into Wormwood? Bad. Archangel and Wormwood. Super sad. Oh, yeah. Because... So that's been my concern because like, I've been getting the Iona matchup most of the time, but I see every circle player that I've talked to and if like we've been seeing the matchup, we kind of both feel like the matchup's hard. Like I don't feel like we're as screwed by as Iona as a lot of other factions, but it's still a tough game, but it's also tougher than what they're used to. So they're like, I'm dropping Iona into easy wins. And Legion is like, whether it's Callus or... Um, you know, even Animag potentially, like these are not necessarily as easy of wins as what they've been getting in some of the other matchups. And so I've been seeing them shift towards Wormwood. Um, but I don't know if that's what like everybody's doing, but it just seems over here, West Coast, it's becoming Wormwood Iona. Well, I know here we don't have a lot of circle players. So I've been playing Iona Wormwood into Prier and Jeremy and people who need games into circle because I think that's, that's, a better way to go honestly that pairing is disgusting yeah it's um, pretty damn strong yeah i mean kruger is an amazing caster there you can't you can't argue with that and him with that Stormbird is really good but wormwood yeah. locking things down that can handle the tharn yeah it's the thing mm. i'm not sure kruger really like covers um covers any of the matchups that are a struggle for iona that's one of the weird things when you have like two fantastic casters but they kind of cover similar matchups and so you're like i don't really actually need kruger for very many matchups and that's where i think the the attraction to wormwood has has gone um so are you kind of sticking with the same thing for thags like you are still feeling that direction well i started playing so because it, we kind of went through it if you 
play Abby into Wormwood, you're bad. If you play Abby into Kruger and Iona, you're good. Maybe it's not the right drop for me. So trying to find that list that pairs with my Thag PT list has been difficult. So I'm starting to play Thagrosh back in Oracles again, putting oh, okay. thrones in front of him, put him in between the thrones and let his aura extend out and then put Hellions behind the thrones so that he can't walk up and shoot much. And that has proved effective into pretty much everything. Um, so the battle what else, group. Yeah, what Let's else see. goes in the battle group if you do the, the double throne? Uh, Typhon, two Seraphs, and I think we ended up with... I ended up running a Naga in one of my games, and I didn't have a Naga in another one. And missing out on the Naga made me real sad into Iona. But, so, uh, did you say two Seraphs? Nerefs. Two Nerefs. Okay, I was like... That that can't be right. Like I must be mishearing. So okay, yeah, two nerfs makes sense. Yeah, and the the little bit of sprint helps. The plus two damage from Thagrosh really helps with the Seraph's damage output, um, or the the Nerf's damage output, so that it can actually go in there and kill a heavy if it needs to with a free charge. Um, in the Wormwood, it's not as bad. You've got armor twenty thrones. Maybe he doesn't land all of his um, strangleholds on them. And depending on the Wormwood list, a lot of them don't have the hitting power to get through. If he's playing Wormwood in um, Bones, it can struggle to get enough damage output to get through a list like that. Thagrosh 1 has always been a good drop against Circle. So see if I can build him into a new way. The other version of that list we were I played, I haven't played it yet, but I was talking with Julian Lesage about it, was... Typhon double Ravagor throne, double thrones and just building a gun line that walks up the table and just, I mean, Ravagor's counterpunching is still very legit. Yeah. And I mean, people aren't playing quite as many shield guards and such. Um, it also, um, one of the things that I was thinking about is also the perspective of saying into like the scorn matchup, like Ravagors get real, real scary for the immortals if they're combined with um amic and so you know if they can't go in corporeal the scather just kills them and that mm -hmm. shuts down so much of an immortal list um now obviously makita 3 is bringing a crap ton of shield guards so it's you know gets kind of questionable but it was just a thought so i want to run something by you why we're talking about fags because i keep like i have this thag rosh is why i got into the game but he keeps like not quite being right for me and i did buy two more units of warmongers they're literally sitting over here like primed but i haven't gotten to painting the other two units yet but so you know me i try to stop and go am i always including blank because that's just kind of the attitude and so one of the things i was thinking about is wanting to play golab with thags and being like, well, you really can't run the double chosen with him if you want Blightbringer and Golab. So at one point I'm building lists without the Blightbringer, but I love anti-tough in this meta, right? Like, and having Golab and access to the Blightbringer's anti-tough aura seems real good. Um, but the only way that I can make that whole list happen is if I end up choosing to not go with Hellmouths, which 
I know seems crazy, but honestly, the way that I've been playing Hellmouth for the most part is a lot of like scenario pieces. And if you're jamming with really hard to kill units like Chosen with Concealment with a Blightbringer buff and, you know, the negative strength aura, they're not going to be the easiest things to remove. And you're going to have pressure in the zones anyway. Um, so obviously I'd love to have Hellmouth also getting, you know, the strength aura and the Blightbringer, but you can't have everything all the time. And I just try to like step back and think about the list. I'm like, man, if I get to play Blightbringer and Golab and Double Chosen and Warmongers with Gorag and I get Amic, like, sure, I don't get the Hellmouths, but man, the, the Chosen kind of get around Cal or um, Thags' lack of hit buff, right? Because they're so super accurate being Cav. They threaten very far. Um, I don't know. What, you, you're way more of a Thags player than I am. So do you have thoughts? I'm like, am I going crazy? Or is it? do you think it's worth testing? I think it's definitely worth testing. Um, I played Sans Hellmouth early on after PT was released because I kept wanting to fit in more and more things that to actually do work and i figured with thagros you don't have the gallows that you have with animag or fiana to really abuse heavies so if they play them right you can just walk the heavies up and not get pulled in by the hellmouth. so i want more things that do work instead of just contest um right, i really that, like yeah that's essentially my thought process is you know a lot of times if i can make the cool drags work it works because of um dark guidance or um frost field like those when i put those on the hellmouth then suddenly they're really accurate and then like i can you know go for some of these crazy pulls because they have a reasonable chance of hitting but thag doesn't really have that um and i'm just thinking like man i'm making all this stuff super hard to kill um i don't know i like it i i'm, I'm and that's one of the things that's part of why i took lightbringer out of callus and like i'm just not gonna be building with auto includes necessarily um except the mock goes in pretty much every primal yeah, that that is one that i do feel like and that was actually that's where i was going to go with it is it was because i didn't want to take out amok and i was like looking at the list and like how do i make this work and i'm like do i take out amok but i'm like no like he he makes the scorn matchup possible right like he messes with the immortals and he has personally saved me in like every single scorn game and I'm like, I just don't think he can go out and have the ability for him to go up and remove the defensive buff off of the Tharn. Like when they come in, like that's a big deal too. And man, oh, I love him with Veil. Vale. Having to be able to walk up unbind and then walk backwards afterwards, pretty delightful. Um, so anyway, that's one of the things that I wanted to test because... Um, as much as I've liked the warmongers, I actually, I played an animag game last weekend. Um, again, I'm trying to like shake up my, shake up my thoughts about auto includes. And I, uh, this was actually to a certain extent ex inspired partially by your thags list. Um, I wanted to play all vengeance units, but I'm not a huge fan of the warmongers without Gorag. And I happen to have three full units of painted war spears. So, I was playing Animag with just four units of ogres, all with UAs. Um, so it was no Hellmouths, but I got Golab, Seraph, Amic, and four units, right? So just you touch a single thing, I'm getting vengeance is the idea. Um, and I liked it, um, but I don't have a ton of experience with Animag. And I still, I ended up struggling with 
the War Spears a little bit. I was specifically asked to play it into Scorn. Um, got to play against Sean, fantastic player out of Bellingham. He was top four at LVO, um, um, but he was practicing some Makita. And I felt like I was getting good work, but man, I still struggled. Like not having Pathfinder on a all your units, like, yes, you can charge with it, but having vengeances sometimes be an inch and a half. Like I still struggled with it a little bit, but what, uh, theme force was he playing Makeda in? Um, that one, he was playing it in Warhost, I believe his list was, um, double turtle. Um, and then like battle group basically. Cause in general, I like the, uh, war spears into scorn, uh, quite a bit, but turtles with agonizers and Kreas are when war spears just really drop off. That's a lot of buffs to, re- I mean, reducing their damage output by 20 or 30 points is really bad. Yeah, there was a point where I'm like, I think I'm going to like go all out. And then I'm like, I'm doing the math. And I'm like, if I charge in all these war spears, I do like 10 damage with the assaults. Like when you factor in, you know, those battle engines being at arm 22. Um, but I was still able to pull out the game. Um, and so it wasn't it wasn't bad, but it, it didn't necessarily excite me as much as some of my other lists. You know, you can't hit them all, but. Mm-hmm. I still liked it and I may still experiment with it. And I'd still like to try Animag because I think the Grievous Wounds feat is potentially real good. Like one unit of Warmongers into Immortals is real bad. Even on Zaltu's feet turn, if she counterfeits, like those Warmongers are going to kill like everything. Because with the strength buff, you know, they're going up to POW 16 and then they're going to have Dark Shroud. So they're effectively POW 18. So they're still killing on like fives. Yeah, it's it's perfectly fine. Yeah. And so, like, when they're like, I'm accurate, and I've got Grievous Wounds, so there's no tough, and I don't care that you're plus five armor, I'm still killing you on low rolls. They're just going to... Each one of them is going to just eat Immortals. So, I feel like it's worth testing. Mm-hmm. But you were also playing a list with War Spears, if I recall. What what was it that you were working on? So, in, at the end of Mark Two, I started playing Lilith Two with a Blightbringer and two units of War Spears, because I needed something that was accurate, had a high volume of attacks, and had some board presence, which Lilith 2 always struggled with. But I wanted to be able to reach out and touch my opponent. So funny story, my first game ever against Nick was at TempleCon right after the Warspear UA came out, and I was playing Lilith 2 with two units of Warspears. There's a lot more synergy than you expect there. I mean, I liked it. I didn't play great in that particular game. Like, I messed up multiple things that cost me pretty bad. But um, so I lost that game to Nick, but I got him back at lock and load. Good. But <laughs> anyway, like, I've always felt like there's something there with War Spears and um, uh, War Spears and Lilith. So I've been excited to talk to you about this. Well, my first incarnation on the list was Triple War Spears, Warmongers, No Hellmouths, Blightbringer, Bolt Thrower a mock and uh, I think I had a forsaken in there. Um, And I was playing that list right when PT came out because I'm like, Oh wow, I can play my Mark two list that I never got to take to WTC that I really enjoyed. Now Warmongers are FA three. Like I'm just going to get in there. It's going to be amazing. And um, it was performing very well at the time. But after I put Thag one on the table, I never really looked back. I just kept, I kept playing Thag one, but with the way 
circle is right now. I need something that's accurate that has enough attacks to take down Tharn if they tough and heal and yeah. don't get knocked down because of the shaman and something that can go into immortals and just chew through all of their immortals in one or two turns. Cause I don't want to sit there while I'm trading one war spear to kill three immortals that just come back. Like I can't play Thagrosh's game where he sits there and makes the game go seven turns when they have seen recurrer, all six of the models I kill every turn. Yeah, that's a problem. So Lilith has been filling that niche that I wanted perfectly. Um, the war spears with Mirage on them, give them another two inch move. So now you've got war spears that even whenever they're not doing anything fun with vengeance, they're still threatening 12 inches on the charge. It's real good for the warmongers too. Like, cause you have the many feet potentially like being like, well, these guys are going to threaten 14 without vengeance. Certainly. And the war spears give you the opportunity to walk forward. Um, if they get a vengeance trigger, walk up eight inches, throw eight inches. So they've got a 16 inch walking threat and then she feats and they all get two attacks, which gives you a huge threat range to say, if you just walk into me, I'm going to get a lot of work done. But if you let me charge with a feat and be able to make three attacks per ogre, charging with your gunfighter and assaulting and making your extra attack, they can just start mopping things up with the plus two strength and a few pin cushion a unit. And they just go to town. Yeah. Plus, uh, if you, you know, you got stuff toughing, you're like, well, I got two more attacks on it. So I'm going to get there. And Lilith's personal output, being able to just aim and shoot down trackers, being able to aim and pin cushion a unit of uh, immortals if one of them's outside of the Guardian's range. And she can just start chewing through things on her own. And that's a lot of output that Thagrosh has to wait until late game to do. Or that well, Callus has to wait till late game to do. With access to um, Snipe, like even if she's shooting at a Phantasm unit of Tharn, she's hyper accurate. So that unit obviously can't have the plus defense because it's got Phantasm. So even with the negative five range, she's still range 11. Like, and if they haven't feeded yet, she only needs eights on the damage roll to kill them. Like, you know, she can she can absolutely kill a couple of Tharn. Like, not that much of an issue. Certainly. And then the bolt thrower is always nice because he's got the knockdown effect. And his snipe puts him at a range where if Lord of the Feast gets into a cheeky position and I can thin out whatever's screening him, the uh, Nephilim can definitely pick him off. He's got, you I know, mean, Lord of the Feast is easy to hit and he's got plenty of damage output to finish him off. Yeah, the but, tough part is with the corpses at armor 19, it is dice minus five, so you need like a 13 to kill. But you may be able to do a situation where Lilith um, like caps a couple of Tharn and then takes her last like snap fire shot like mm -hmm. into him just to get a few damage points in. And then you're golden. Yeah, right. Then just dice minus seven, if she can boost damage on it and she gets three or four points in, then suddenly that bolt thrower is like, all right, guys, it's party time. We're going to take my coin flip into this any day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but the well, you got the Whitebringer shot too, right? Like when you're talking about the cheeky shit, sometimes you just scare the shit out of them. Or the when you feet and the Blightbringer shoots twice. The amount mm. of area of the table that's covered by his aura at that point is insane. No Tharn get tough, or you have your plus two armor aura everywhere. Um, the list has been a lot of fun to play. 
And I've been trying different variations where I play two units of War Spears and I try to add in for the third unit, a unit of Chosen. Give me a big unit to jam in there. Mm-hmm. Um, take up some board space. I mean, Chosen Threat with Mirage forever. I mean, Oh, that's delightful. 14-inch Chosen Threat ranges. Well, also, then if anything jams them up, they can potentially apparition backwards or away. like Impact that's... right back in. Um, Love it. Yeah, they've, they've been fun. Uh, I've also tried a minimum unit of Warmongers with Gorag just to try to fit him in there, and a minimum unit of Birds, which just gives me a bunch of models to throw around. I, w- I just want to get Gorag in the list. Yeah. Um, and the Birds help you free up poor Spears if they get jammed so that they can then walk forward and throw. Um, it, she's been a ton of fun. I really like Lilith, too. She's a blast. So if you were to like go to a tournament right now with the Lilith list, um, what would you what would you pair with it? Would you bring Abby, or like what would the other list be? Gun to my head, I'd bring Fianna. She's my favorite caster in Legion. So <laughs> I would still play her. I would um, not have guessed that. I would have thought that Thags... I, I got the feeling that Thags was your baby, but you feel like it's Fianna? Uh, I started playing Fiona a couple of years ago, and I've probably played 400 games of her because I took her to, would have taken her to two WTCs. I mean, that it just, I've been grinding out games with her for so long, and she does everything I want. She's a combination of Veil uh, One and Saren from Mark Two. Like, it, she's just a blast to play. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's like playing Saren with a damage buff, right? Which like, is all, it's, it's anything we've ever wanted. <laughs> Which I still would love Saren to get a damage buff. I just don't feel like her current feat does enough. She, I think Draconic Blessing would actually be a great one for her. Like, Let's do it. I'd take Disintegrate. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I like that. Um, so, Feyana in Oracles with, with Lilith. Um, you feel like that's a, like a solid potential pairing? Certainly. It handles all of the gun lines with Feyana. Any melee matchup, I can try to play War Spears into. Um, it's possible that I don't have a good like Lilith two isn't good enough into Scorn Imperial Warhost because again because of the buff stacking I don't have a Naga, um, like double Turtle might be too much to get through for the list I haven't played it yet. Um, our Scorn player has been on a play Immortals with every caster in the game kick, so yeah that that's fair like. I mean, even immortals are still good with Makita. Like, I don't, I don't blame the guy. But yeah, Kirk played like, in our WTC t- or our ATC team. Kirk was five and lower. Like, he put all of us to shame. Like, Kirk yep. led that team. Like, me, you, Perrier, um, Jeremy. Like, Kirk blew all of his way. I actually, uh, I totally messaged JVM when he was like, when we found out that he was gonna be captain. I was like, hey man, I know you may not know. Kirk like very well compared to a lot of these other guys but I just want you to know like this guy blew me away like he was the guy on the team that I didn't know and had no experience with and you so you always kind of assume in the back of your mind right like if you hop on a team and there's this one dude you don't know that's the guy who like snuck his way in because he knew the right people which that was me in this particular case but um Kirk was the uh the ringer for sure like he five and owed with like no issue yeah, one listing it. Just yeah, I'm gonna run my cadence everyone. And, um, but yeah, I was like, dude, you know, if you feel like you like a scorn player is what you need, like I was like, you just consider Kirk. Like he's really, really good. To be fair, they got Watt. So R- right, like, and I didn't know. At that point, I did not know that Watt was applying. 
Oh yeah, no, I I don't think that you can go wrong with Jason Watt. I don't care if he shows up playing half an army. He, he's just one of the best players out there. But I mean, Kershaw playing that Immortals list with Makeda, and it's better than you give anyone gives it credit for. It's pretty good. Yeah, I when we were putting together the team, like I had like no real scorn experience into Mark Three, and now like. I'm just seeing like Iona and Scorn all the time. That's like almost all of my games, which is fine to a certain extent. Like of the things that we could face, like I don't think Legion playing into Circle and Scorn is as hard as it is for some of the other factions, which is why I actually like, we may not have gotten any like crazy cool model releases, but I feel like the meta is kind of shifting in a way that's good for us where both the Scorn lists and the, um, the Circle list like shit on guns which is great for us because the people are going like, I can't play my gun list. Everyone's playing circle and scored and they just, you know, take a huge old turd face. So I had over all my gun lists and we're like, yes, excellent. Just put those lists back in the bag and now we will sneak out from behind. And that was kind of our position in Mark two, where, you know, Signar was, or Crix was the big bad Signar countered Crix. Well, if you're building your list for Signar and Crix, you're out of list to build for Legion. So we got to just come in there from the side and, and I think that we're kind of in a similar position right now. We're middle of the pack from a power level standpoint, but from a meta standpoint, we've got a lot of options. Yes, I 100% agree. Like if we're just talking about like in a vacuum, general power level for the faction, I feel like we are middle of the road, maybe even slightly behind the pack. But from a meta perspective, I feel like we're placed very, very well. A lot of the things that we don't want to see are really bad in the existing meta. And... Like there was actually a fair amount of Signar and like different gun lists and stuff at um, PDX and they like all lost round one. And it was just like, bloop, they're all gone. Like, I mean, outside of like Brandon, the, the WTC team leader playing Crucible Guard, like I think just about every other gun list like lost round one. And Crucible Guard's the big one right now. They're yeah. building pre- predominantly gun lists and they're very popular because they're cool models and they're a fun faction to play. So we're going to see a lot of them. We just got to have a plan. No, for sure. And I like, I'd say if you're trying to examine like um, maybe not global meta, but national or regional meta, I would say the three top factions are probably scorn circle and crucible guard. But when you step back and go, well, how does Legion deal with this sort of stuff? I feel like Legion has actually got very reasonable matchups into scorn and circle. We're behind the curve into crucible guard, but Hey, that's you could easily be in a lot of other factions are looking at that and go, we're bad into all three. Mm-hmm. Right. So when a good portion of the game is like, we do not have an answer to this existing meta, at least Legion's going, well, we've we can get some 50-50 games in here for sure. Yeah. I'll make you work for it for sure. <laughs> we're not going to make this easy. Can you play into Callus One without clocking? That is going to be the question I will ask your lists. Um so that's really cool. So you've been experimenting with Lilith 2. You've been experimenting with Absalonia 2. Um, is there anything else that's been on your table right now? I've been trying to build a Thagrosh 2 list. because Haven't we all? I know, right? I, it got in my head the other day and started bouncing ideas across my group, me. And I'm like, well, is this going to work? Can I play him? And let's play him in Children of the Dragon. I mean, shoot, does he work in there? And if I just had a little more fury management, maybe it does. But I haven't got a list for him yet, but he's on my mind. I've been thinking about the um, the the goblin, the gobber chef, potentially as a children of the dragon tool, um, because you don't necessarily have a shortage of units to potentially bring in. And so having access to some infantry that your beast can then eat 
um, may may fix that. I'm trying to get mine painted. Unfortunately, I just assembled mine, and the green stuff on his feet, like I was getting them all positioned. He like I didn't notice, and he started leaning backwards. So I have to like cut him off the base and like redo that. But um, um, I got out, and so in addition to trying the animag list, I wanted to give Vale one a try with a little bit more beasts. Um. A couple episodes ago, I talked about the Veil vale 1 list that I wanted to play, but it's only two heavies. And so I, I, I straight up, before I ever got that many games with it in, my biggest concern was that once something starts attacking Veil, vale, which will eventually happen, she plays too risky of a game for it to not happen, um, she's going to run out of boxes really fast. Like two transfers, and you're going to be looking at a real short amount of War Beast boxes. And that that can be a real big issue because I've had games where people go for assassinations on her, but I used to play her like all beasts. And, you know, when she transfers three or four times, you know, that hurts even a five heavy list. And so imagine it on a two heavy that are both flying beasts. Um, and sure enough, in most of my games, I was able to protect her. People really didn't get that many opportunities to attack her at the PDX Open. Um, but when it finally happened, I was just like, man, I've transferred like two attacks and I feel like my beasts are both nearly dead. Um, and so I've been really thinking about ways to like improve the, the beast lineup. And man, I, I will admit, I love playing her with the four units, double chosen warmongers with Gorag and a unit of birds. She fucking loves it. That quad of troops is so great because the chosen get to go up, murder stuff and back up. The warmongers do fantastic work because you can give them chiller so they can reliably hit those berserk attacks into something else. And then it doesn't help them hit their buddies because chiller only affects enemies. So it's it's just a perfect buff for them. But then being able to have incited birds fly over your front line, kill stuff, and then retreat out of the way, but then get to like fly into all sorts of obnoxious positions to jam people up during the feet turn, we're like, I'm gonna move all the important stuff back. And now you get to be choked up on a unit of birds. Have fun. Um, has been great, but there's not a lot of, when you play that list, it's Seraph and Golab. And Golab's money. And Seraph's great with her. Um, but I was trying a little bit more beast-heavy version where I dropped the warmongers and I dropped um, the birds and I put in two Nerefs. And so it's then it's like four heavies and it plays an even crazier hit-and-run game. You lose a lot of the jam from the list, um, but I got to try that. I also played that into Makita 3, which he pretty much immediately felt like he cannot play Makita 3 into that because... He shot at me and softened, you know, he, he took some gunshots at me with his battle engines, but then, so I approach the zone and this is, this is the whole plan. Like I want to like toe into the zone and then I'm going to come across and kill whatever's in the zone. Um, and so he throws both turtles into me cause they charge like a million inches. And so they both go through and they both like, they kill three chosen each plus damage more and they're getting gunshots elsewhere. So they did this bunch of work and in the same turn, he's able to put um, Cyclops savages into my Hellmouths. And so boom, suddenly I'm down two Hellmouths and most of my chosen are dead. Problem is, is I have Veil one and a feat. And so I kill both of the battle engines, both of the Cyclops and all he's going to get to kill in response is two chosen. And I'm up on scenario. And he immediately, like, he's like, I thought I killed a lot of stuff. It's not enough. It was not enough. And then the thing that we never got to do with Veil 1 back in Mark 2 is have a sprint, have three sprinting beasts. Like at that point, 
sure, now I'm losing Chosen, and that's fine. I don't need them that much longer. But now my whole battle group basically sprints. So now I'm playing Veil's Feet every single turn. Uh, it felt, it did feel real good. Um, it's definitely more finesse, not having the jam options, but um, man, I love playing Veil 1. How did you feel keeping her alive? Like you'd mentioned issues transferring. Um, uh, well, it was a big part about when um, when things go into her. And if someone's going for an assassination run, you've got to have some transfer targets or if they like get a few things on you and thinking about that. But in most situations, people don't get that many attacks on her. Um, part of it is two thirds of the tables have a giant forest or house in the middle of the board, right? You're going to have that most of the time. And if you don't have that, you can choose to not drop her. You have this other list. And Callus is perfectly happy flooding the middle of board with stuff. So, you know, that's kind of my thought direction. Like, if there's no defensible terrain for her, I don't necessarily have to play her. But I will do a combination of things. One, you don't have to go up and aggressively insight. If you just need to clear zones and they're just like, it's bottom of two, they're not giving you a ton of shit. And so you can potentially just have chosen charge up, kill medium base models or whatever, the things that they're putting into contest. And then potentially feet just to back up all the stuff, just so you can go up on scenario. Um, but with all of that said, like you, you don't necessarily need insight to do that, right? Like there's still power 15 charges and you can put some nerfs and you can back your stuff up super far. Um, but in key situations, putting the two nerfs in front of her, putting a couple of chosen in front of her, all of these things, um, you know, tie things up with with you know tentacles and that sort of thing. Um, honestly, I have not felt that unsafe with her. Um, the big thing, if you played her in Veil 2, or if you played Veil 1 back in Mark 2, you can't do all of her spells, and not nearly as much as you could back then, because you can't reliably upkeep both Leash and Chiller and cast Insight, because that puts her at 2, and that's Danger Zone, she'll die. You have to keep her at 3 or 4. If, you, if you're going to cast Insight on turn 2 or on turn 3, you have to keep her at 3. And a lot of time, if I'm going to cast Insight on bottom of two, that's the only thing she's casting. Like, hmm. I will keep her on four, and that's totally fine, especially in the two beast list. And that, honestly, that scares a lot of people off of it, right? Because, you know, you plus you've got Dark Sentinel, which fucks all sorts of shit up, right? If they charge in a dude, you're probably going to kill that one, so they lose an attack, Um and so, you know, she's got concealment all the time. Concealment matters a whole lot more now than it did back in Mark II. Like, now it's a serious deal. Um, I would still love to have a protector in the list with her um, because getting her to defense 17 versus melee attacks and having a shield guard that can move with the feet, that's the problem. People are like, hey, play Valks with her. I'm like, it becomes a really messy. Like, even a feral geist, you're like, I only get to run you once, but then I rearrange my whole army and now you're not where I want you to be and you're taking up space that I need an infantry model to go into. Um, so I'm really shy about taking any sort of mercs with her because they, they even one model can mess up your whole plan and suddenly be like, well, now I'm losing something that I didn't want to lose because I don't have the ability to shuffle things around. Um, but honestly, I have not felt that unsafe with her. And honestly, I, I've said this and I get a little bit of shit for it, but if she got to move with her feet in this meta right now, she'd be busted. Like, you would have to change her feet in some other way. You cannot let her move her entire army of dudes 
Like you cannot have her moving a unit of birds, a unit of chosen, another unit of chosen, a unit of warmongers and two beasts and like herself too. Like if she could move up insight and catch all of that shit, honestly, I think it would be too good. Like you, you would have to limit how many things she could move with her feet. Like you would have to be like, you know, five plus, you know, six or seven or something plus a D3. You just couldn't do like 30 things. Like it's, it's too much. Yeah, let's not get back into the, you know, only X number of thing. We don't want to go through that anymore. Let's, let's we're happy now. It's a very simple feat. Yeah, we'll stick with it and play around it. It's great, and I, I, I think if they did any real testing, like obviously primal terrors didn't exist, and I think if primal terrors didn't exist, you probably could let her move with her feet, and it would probably be fine. But I don't, I don't, I think it would potentially be too good. I would like to see two more war beast points on her. I, I think that would fix a lot of her problems. Things are really tight for her. Um, Even just one. Put her at 28 like everyone else. Yeah. 27, right? Fantastic. I mean, it's, it bothers me when I see stuff like Makita 3, who comes with two dudes, or Thagrosh 2, who's a beast himself, and they're two less war beast points than her. I'm like, she can't even charge. She doesn't even have gunfighter. Um, yeah. But no, but you- I... Um, I really like her. And so I'm, I'm definitely looking to play some more with her. And I, I liked trying a, a beast heavy list with her. And I actually built a children of the dragon list with her um, because it incentivizes you taking protectors, which I think help her a lot. It can help into some shooting matchups and um, having some extra durability on Zuriel and Azriel with her. Um, and like the units and stuff are going to do really good work with her um, having access to um the ice witches, which will all like ice witches with insight is dumb. Like they're going to clear off weird. You're going to have so much work out of that seven point unit. I might take two. Um, but that's something that I want to try. Cause I think basically being able to sprint as real once, like letting him like do cool stuff and then back up, um, I think is going to put, put people in a really cautious position and having potentially pow 19, um, spears chucked in your face. Every yeah, turn. Yeah, nobody likes that. Yeah. So, you know, it, that's something that I'm thinking about that has game. And I know, I was funny, I got in a little bit of crap. People were like, there's nothing special about your Veil list. You know, it's just another Primal Terrors list. And I'm like, well, nobody was playing Veil. Well, there's a few people, but they were getting shit for it too. Um, but I definitely, I more so than actually Oracles, I think I want to try her in Children of the Dragon. I think there's game there. That's interesting. I haven't thought about her running that list, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, she busts the infantry in the list and that infantry needs some help. So for sure. And like she does good things like hex hunters end up being like magic eight pow 15s um, incubi all get help from insight now. Like, so if you do, if you take like Emmanuel's style of list and then you're running the hex hunters with incubi, like she can boost up all of their effectiveness and even if you're running that protector, he does good work too, because he suddenly is like Matt seven pow 14. And so he can just kind of like hang out by her and potentially pop a couple of things. You know, I feel like there's game. I don't know if I like it as much as the primal terrors version. Cause I think her and chosen and birds and warmongers, it's, it's so much work. And, but let's be honest, go lab. I feel is, is there's just the best thing in Legion right now. Like without a doubt. he, is probably one or two points under costed. Like just to be honest, like he's really, really good. Yeah. I, I really like Golab. I think that he is, he may not single-handedly, we still have, 
hell mouse, but he's definitely booing that theme force quite a bit. I think more so than people realize. And I think, I think we kind of lucked out because I think people got really focused on testing Animag with the Blightbringer. And I don't think people fully tested out GoLab. And I think we ended up sneaking through the CID with a potentially broken Warbeast. GoLab's super good. I'll take it. Any game I get to feed him back with Thagrosh, it's usually a win. Like if he comes back and he actually gets to do work that second time, that's too much. No, I haven't had anyone able to kill Golab yet. I don't think I've lost Golab in most of the games I've played. Even with Callus, there's mm-hmm. so few times that Golab has actually like ever bit the dust. But man, I'll tell you. I don't. Did you play Vale one much in Mark Two? Right near the end, she was our our. Uh... Bradigus drop and runes yeah, drop. Sure. I mean, you kind of had to play her. She was just insane. Yeah, she was She was definitely our best option, I think, into Bradigus and potentially also into Trolls at the time because there wasn't a whole lot of other things you're going to be able to stand up to um, uh, the elemental whatever the fuck that EE. Um, mm-hmm. But, man, it is, it is super fun having GoLab, like, go murder a bunch of stuff sprint to a different position so that other things can ignore tough and then get to back him up with a feat. And in some games, I will leash and slipstream him forward first to catch things in the aura, kill stuff, then have him go kill stuff. So he ends up affecting three different locations and then still lives. No, that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, that, that always feels so good. But just being able, it's what Callus two players have been doing, right? Like throw go lab across the board slipstream plus leash um extending his threat range to 16 uh that's how i killed scar top of two or something scar three but anyway well this has been our list dojo we appreciate rodney and wildwing zero coming in and you know hanging out in the chat um and thank all the listeners who tuned in we'll have Emmanuel back next week for sure but we always love having david on getting some perspective outside of the west coast representing houston um so david i'm really looking forward to seeing like what all other stuff you've been testing um are you gonna make it out for lock and load this year i'm hoping to uh kingdom con is getting precedence but if i can sneak in a lock and load too that'd be great so you are going to kingdom con Okay, we're going to have to talk because I'm trying to figure out if I should go. I have the time off already. Yeah, it's the one event every year Tom makes it to. So he says that's his that's his favorite event. So I'll, mm. I'll take his advice. He's been to all of them. Okay, it is a fun event. Have you, do, have you done Kingdom Con before? I did once in Mark II, and it was a blast. Very yeah, well-run event, and it's a beautiful city. I did it... Uh... 2015 2016 i forget which year but i i loved it ross runs a fantastic event well all right listeners we're going to go ahead and close out this episode again huge thanks to david for joining us always bringing the blight but um we will have more blight makes right for you next week we're out awesome have a good one blights out <laughs>